Down Syndrome Queensland are the peak body for intellectual disability in Queensland. We drive change, support inclusion and are on a quest for equality so that people with intellectual disabilities can take their rightful place as valuable members of the community. Down Syndrome Queensland also provides practical and emotional support, comfort and opportunities to people with intellectual disability, their families and support networks, particularly in regional areas. DSQ supports an inclusive environment for people with an intellectual disability, which allows them to live their best lives. We believe it is important to respect the rights of parents to choose the development path that is best for their loved one. DSQ is here to support them along the way. To find out more about how you can help, to volunteer or to support the work of Down Syndrome Queensland, go to downsyndrome.org.au forward slash QLD. We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now and into the future. We just wanted to start today's podcast with a little ears warning. In this podcast, we'll be discussing themes around puberty and we'll be using language that may not be appropriate for little ears. If you have a little person listening with you, we would suggest listening to this podcast in private. Now let's get into the podcast. On today's episode of the Now in the Future podcast, we sit down with Elin from Planet Puberty to discuss puberty for people with an intellectual disability. Puberty can be a confusing time for young people as well as parents. Changes to bodies and hormones can lead to behaviours and feelings that are foreign and a bit scary. It's important to maintain an open and honest dialogue about what is happening, but that can be a bit trickier when your young person also has an intellectual disability. Elin from Planet Puberty is here with us to chat openly about strategies and resources that are available to make this transition into young adulthood easier. Welcome, Elin, and thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you. Before we get chatting more about puberty, I was thinking it would be nice to learn a bit more about yourself and to find out a bit more about Planet Puberty as well. Wonderful. Thanks, Isabel. And thank you for the invitation to be part of your podcast. Um, so as you said, my name's Elin. I'm from Family Planning Australia. Um, and Planet Puberty is a project we created with the support of the Australian Government Department of Social Services. Um, and so what we've, as you sort of alluded to, what we've known for a while now is that you know, puberty can be really challenging time for parents. Um, of all children, yeah. um, but that for parents of children with intellectual disability, um, it can be you know, a bit trickier to know um, how to approach um, uh, their, their growing child and supporting them with puberty, 
what information is out there, um, what supports are out there, and just generally not really knowing um, the best way forward. So Family Planning Australia, we've been um, supporting parents of children with intellectual disability for many years now. And part of that work has involved us um, doing workshops with parents on how to support their growing child through puberty. And we did an evaluation about five or so years ago now, um, which you know, we spoke to you know, lots of different parents about their experiences and how they benefited from our workshops. Um, and what we found is that um, parents, while you know, they're getting a lot out of the workshops we were providing, really needed uh, more ongoing support and information, um, and in particular, needing to have that information available when they needed it, at the time they needed it, whether that's um, in two months' time, at 2 a.m. in the morning, just not having somewhere to go um, because, you know, we might, you know, if we're doing workshops, we might be there in that town you know, maybe once a year, once every two years, and they were you're not sure what they should be doing in between if they needed that support. Um, and so from that finding in um, in that evaluation we did, which has actually just been published in the Sexuality and Disability Journal, uh-huh. um, we put together this idea of you know, wouldn't it be great if we could develop um, a digital resource which could support parents to have the information when they needed it, um, and we applied for some funding from what was then uh, the ILC um, grant program funded by um, the National Disability Insurance Agency, which has since transitioned to the Department of Social Services for those, those ILC funding grants, um, with this idea of things that you know the adults with intellectual disability today would have liked to know when they were younger, and using that to inform um, a resource for parents today. Um, and so Planet Puberty was sort of born from that. We worked over you know, from about end of 2019, beginning 2020, with parents and carers of um, children with intellectual disability and also autism spectrum disorders. Um, we worked with adults with um, intellectual disability and adults on the spectrum as well. We spoke to lots of different people from across the country, um, really to get their experience of what they would like to know during puberty, what they would like to know as a parent, how they want to access that information, the key topics um, that we should cover, and how this whole sort of resource should look. So from there, uh, working with a, a design agency, we came up with this idea of Planet Puberty, where you know, it is a bit, um, so for a couple of years, it's a bit like you're in a sort of different world. There's things which are a bit strange and new, um, but on the other hand, uh, something that can be still really a positive experience, something which um, doesn't have to be, we were very conscious that we didn't want it to be a really sort of negative, sort of um, risk-averse type um, approach, but we wanted to you know, really be really proactive. And that's, I guess, part of our approach in terms of health generally is that, you know, there's, um, it's about supporting people to make, to be able to have the information they need to make the decisions for themselves and for their children and support their children to make those decisions in the future as well. Um, so we launched the Planet Puberty website in 2021 um, and that included the website itself with about 80 pages of information of all different sort of topics are related to not just body changes but also um, the social emotional changes we know happen with puberty as well. Um, so relationships and 
consent and you know, supporting your child to develop their own identity. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of information on there with recommended resources, you know, both our, from ourselves at Family Planning and also um, other you know, external resources as well, a webinar series that accompanied um, the, the rollout of the website, um, downloadable worksheets, so things you can print off and use with your child, um, some suggested strategies of how to you know, talk and teach about different topics. Um, and more recently added some new games, so uh, games to actually um, play with your child. And that came out of feedback from our first webinar series. So there's lots of things on there. Um, and yeah, really you know, wanting to have something which you know, a parent can come to if they're just starting that journey and supporting their child through puberty or you know, a bit further in and wanting a bit more information about you know, how to support on that particular topic. Mm. I think that's important as well that parents do have that place to go um, when, you know, the situation comes up because, yeah, it, it can be tricky and I guess sometimes it can be difficult to talk about. Um, yeah. And having that place and and we here at DSQ, we, we send out um, links to your website all the time because it is such an amazing resource um, and we've, we do get a lot of feedback saying that it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. We're, we're very proud. Um, and you know, for us at Family Planning, we're, you know, it's something which we've been very um, keen to do for a while and great that we're able to you know, really give it some good scope for you know, taking it to a, a national audience. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Now, I was wondering if we could start the podcast today by discussing puberty in a person with intellectual disability. What are some of the differences we sometimes see in this transition with our young people who live with an intellectual disability? And what strategies can we use to ease this transition and help them understand what they are going through? Um, that's a really great question. And it's something which we get asked a lot at the, the workshops we do with, with parents. Um, and I think as I was saying earlier, we know puberty can be a really challenging transition for all young people mm -hmm. um, and their parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it can therefore be really challenging for young people with intellectual disability and their parents. Um, we know that there's, so not you know, for all so young people, there's not one single experience of puberty. It can be really different between, you know, between different people starting at Know, different ages, um, you know, starting with you know, some body changes or others, or might be some emotional changes. You know, the order in which things um, happen can, you know, varies a lot between between children. So we know that for young people with intellectual disability, um, their experience may be more challenging depending on you know, a whole variety of different things. Um, so that might include things around how much education or support they've had at school or at home about puberty and about body changes or about the body itself and how it works and how to take care of it. Um, so might so the experience of puberty might also depend on things like um, the level of the level of understanding of puberty and body changes, um, their current skill level around things like personal care and hygiene and consent, um, the communication skills uh, or the communication needs. Um, their learning needs and how they best learn new things like the changes that are about to come with puberty um, and also as well how well they adapt to those changes. We know some people it might just be a thing that happens but you no know, others might need a lot more time to prepare. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be 
very different for a, a child with intellectual disability. But at the same time, it may say some, we know some children, you know, have a, you know, a fairly good experience. And so it, it is very hard to say what it's going to be like for for your child. And so that in itself makes it more, can make a bit more, um, make parents a bit more anxious about what might be happening uh, or what might what might come. Um, so in terms of the main, so I'll speak, I guess, generally in, in terms of strategies that can um, that can assist. Um, and so there's a couple of sort of general ones that we, we often recommend. Um, so the main sort of first one is what we always say to parents is that you know your child best. Um, you've taught them things throughout their life. Um, you know what works well and what doesn't work well. Um, and so it's about applying those strategies that you know work in you know, one topic, for example, and applying it to things, that changes that are going to happen with puberty. And we have the same conversation with teachers. It's about, you know, it's just, it's another subject, it's another thing to teach. And how can you take what you know works already and apply it to this? So if you know that visuals work really well, then maybe, um, they're looking at how you can teach you know, something you know, a puberty related topic with visuals and Planet Puberty. The website has lots of sort of different visuals to, to use um, as part of that. If you know social stories work really well, for example, then you might you know, work with um, the speech pathologist, for example, or, or some schools I know um, the support teachers as well will, will help with you know, creating social stories to teach about, like a hygiene um, topic, for example. Um, so it's so the Planet Puberty has lots of, sort of different suggestions about um, some specific things that you might want to try or specific resources that you might want to use, but they may not all be relevant for um, for your child or your situation. So it's about using what you know works best with your child, um, going on to things like Planet Puberty or you know, resources you have already and you know, picking what works to build up your repertoire, I guess, of, of strategies that you can use with your child. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the sort of main one we would definitely say that, you know, use what you know works. And if you know something's not going to work, then don't use it. And that's perfectly okay. Mm. The other thing we'd say as well is that it's, it's never too late to start supporting your child with puberty, even if you know, the changes have started happening already. It's a lifelong learning journey. For example, if you look at things like how do you take care of your body better or how do you have better relationships. That's a really, that's a lifelong learning thing that we're all still sort of um, learning and even into adulthood. Um, so it's never too late to start. But having said that, it's also never too early. Uh, and this is, this is particularly the case is if, as I said earlier, you know your child takes longer to learn something or longer to get used to a change that's about to happen, that might actually mean you, you want to start a bit earlier in introducing that topic in a general sort of way at first. So it might be, for example, if you're watching a movie um, so and there's you know, it's a family movie and one of the children there has just started you know, going through puberty and has noticed some new you know, some, you know, breasts growing, for example, and they're going shopping for the first bra. That might be a conversation starter to go, oh, actually, that might be happening to you, you know, in a few years' time getting used to that idea. Or it might be, for example, um, something we talk about or strategy we talk about in, in terms of preparing girls for periods. It might be um, 
starting to you know wear liners in their underwear to get used to that feeling of having something in um, against their skin. Or it might be getting used to wearing the period underwear before they you know strictly need, needing it for a period. Or it might be, um, for example, the other thing we know that, that changes a lot during during puberty is that need for um, increased you know, care and hygiene around private body parts, um, and they're really sort of reinforcing um, more some of those learnings about some of those principles about private and public. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's never too late, but it's also never too early. Um, the other thing, actually, the other thing I'd say in terms of an example around you know, something that um, parents can start early is using the correct names for body parts. Um, and that's something that can start at a very early age from you know, you know, children of you know, you know, three or four, you know, using the correct names. That's a penis, that's a vagina, that's a bottom. Um, and that is you know, an important part of preparing that child to be able to learn that those parts will be changing as they go through puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, so there's a couple more couple more thoughts in, in terms of some general strategies. So um, the next suggestion that we always recommend parents think about is to integrate it into daily life. So that's not a sit-down one-off conversation, which we know doesn't really work well with with any child to prepare them for puberty, but it's really about making it as less awkward as possible um, by building, by taking the opportunity to talk about things um, as they come up in in your day-to-day. So, for example, if you're out of the shops um, buying period products, that's an opportunity to talk about periods. If someone in a family in the family is pregnant, for example, that's an opportunity to talk about how how babies are made, for example, um, or if you know, dad is shaving his beard, ah, oh, that's an opportunity to talk about um, facial hair and you know, the different hair that's that'll grow. Um, what you know, through puberty? So using those things rather than sort of going okay. He, sitting down or watching this thing or reading this book. There can be a place for watching a movie or reading a book and they may be doing that together, um, but it doesn't have to be that really sort of formal lesson. A lot of the things that we're talking about are really day-to-day life things. Mm. Um, and another good example of that um, is things around um, consent. Um, that's one which is definitely one which is implemented in a day, you know, on a daily basis, you know, things around can I touch you? Can I help you um, with your showering? Um, closing the you know, closing the door when you, you know, if someone receives um, personal care support, you know, closing that door to make it a private space in the bathroom, and asking for consent before providing that support. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes we have sort of this conversation with with parents around, oh, it's a bit awkward asking for my asking my child for consent. Um, but it is um, what we often talk about is that you know, yes, it can seem a bit awkward to be sort of formally asking your child for consent, um, but it's also about practicing that skill. Um, and parents having a really important role um, to support their child to practice that, um, even if it does feel a bit contrived at the time. It's really about setting that up um, so that they can do that. They know how to use that skill with uh, with others outside the family. 
Yeah, and I and I think when we talk about consent, it's about building that understanding that that is an important part of life um, because we do know that our young people with intellectual disability or adults with intellectual disability can be a little bit more vulnerable. Um, so I think when parents set up that expectation right from the beginning that before there's any personal care um, or anything, you know, if, if your private parts are going to be touched for whatever reason, even if, if it is a reason that, you know, seeing a doctor or um, some kind of personal care situation, that it is important that you know we ask for that even though it can seem a little bit strange and yeah. um, and a bit a bit weird and and sometimes I think as well one of the inquiries I guess that we hear a lot about here through um, our support services team um, it really goes into that um, you know, when do you sort of set those boundaries as well in terms of, um, you know, I guess as a young child, um, it's not unusual for mum to have a shower um, with her child. Um, but, you know, we get to that stage where perhaps it's no longer as appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And I think I guess a couple of thoughts about that is that I guess the first one is that, you no, know, we, every parent is different every child is different every family situation is different um and we would never want to say oh they shouldn't be doing that at that age you know there's there's no hard or fast rules about any of you know, about many of these things uh, and we certainly don't want parents to feel bad that they're doing something that they feel that they need to do with their, their current family situation um but i guess part of what we want to do is encourage parents to think about um how they can support their child to have a better understanding of things around consent or private and public and also how they can help to support their child to grow those skills in the future mm -hmm. um you know for a time where they may not you know if they're, they're well that you no know, in the future whether at school yeah. or um in you know, accessing different services and employment you know, or like you know, really long-term future how can you as a parent support your child to have the skills they need to be able to be as independent as possible? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that will obviously look very different for, for different children as they go into adults. Um, so it's not about saying you know, one thing is better or you shouldn't be doing that or you should be doing this. Um, but you know, it is, you know, but you can also at the same time, you know, frame it in a way that's like, oh, you're, you know, you're growing into a, you're going from a child into you, you're turning into an adult now. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's probably time that you no know, mummy showers by herself, um, and probably time that you you, know, you can shower by yourself too. Do you want to? Um, do you want mummy to support you to learn how to do that, mm -hmm. for example? Um, and then that can be a, a process. Um, and so, yeah, it's really I guess, thinking about how you want to um, embark on that, rather than necessarily saying, "Oh no, we can't do that now at this age." Yeah. Public and private behaviours is something that we do talk to our families a lot about in our work. Um, for our listeners who may not be aware of what they are, can you explain these two concepts, please? Uh, certainly. So private and public is something we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, and essentially it's the social rules that go around um, private places and the behaviours that go with them. So what we say is that how we sort of describe it is that private behaviours um, involve private body parts and need to be done in a private place. And that's things that we know, know like going to the toilet is a private thing that needs to happen in a bathroom with a closed door. Mm -hmm. um, 
getting changed is a private thing that needs to happen in a bedroom or a bathroom, again, with a closed door, showering, um, going into sort of more, I don't know, a sort of growing child. And what we know is that um, teenagers will start exploring their um, their private body parts um, and find that it feels good. And so things, you know, learning about masturbation is a private behaviour that needs to be done in a private place. Having sex is a private behaviour that needs to be done in a private place. Um, and so what we know, so that is, so private and public then, there's two sort of opposing, two sides of that coin um, is something which often isn't explicitly taught um, but what but what we find is that for children with intellectual disability who maybe have um, who aren't explicitly taught these concepts and have um, for example maybe require support with some of these personal care things it can blur that line between private and public um, and what can, what we see sometimes is um, adults, for example, who maybe don't have a good concept of what private and public is um, and are doing and engaging in private behaviours in public places. Um, and we know that not only is that socially unacceptable, can actually be illegal in some instances um, and can really impact um, a person's ability to participate in the community to be in employment or in education um, and so learning about private and public is a really essential um, skill to have um, and that can change particularly as a child goes from you know, being a small child where um, you know, running around naked around the house or in the backyard might be okay but certainly once you know th those private parts are developing during puberty that really has you no know, does start to become a much less acceptable thing um, and that there may be additional um, teaching required as to what private body parts are and what, what where those behaviours need to be done. Hmm. <coughs> so in terms of how we do that then, how we sort of teach about it, it's about sort of three levels. It's about the parts. So as I said already, um, using correct names for, for private body parts and knowing where those are. So actually using the name penis, vagina, breasts, bottom. Um, knowing how to, you know, if not how to, you know, building those skills to take care of them, um, but certainly knowing where they are and what, what, you know, what those words mean. Um, and you know, always in the first instance using the anatomically correct body part name and then if um, any sort of colloquial terms can come afterwards and that's about helping communication. Um, the sort of next part of learning about private and public is learning about places. So learning the difference between private places and public places. So private places being, generally speaking, your own bedroom, um, your own bathroom. Um, now a public bathroom can be used to do certain private behaviours so going to the toilet, for example, um, can be done in a public toilet, but masturbation having sex isn't for a public toilet. So this, no, there's a bit of a grey area, sort yeah. of that advancing topic. <laughs> yep. um, but certainly you know, something that we 
So let's say, you know, obviously you got your your bathroom, your bedroom, and then there are public places, you know, pretty much anywhere else that isn't your private place. Um, and the other key thing about private places is that um, private places, you can close the door uh, and that anyone has to ask, anyone who wants to come in has to ask permission to come in. And so that includes a person providing that personal care support. Um, they, they should be asking for consent to be there to support that person and the door should be closed. Um, and that can be you know, a learning process, you know, depending on, on that child. Um, also within the family setting as well, we know that you know, certainly sometimes doors are left open in bathrooms, you know, depending what's happening. Um, and so it can be reinforcing some of that you know, throughout the whole family that you know, these are private places, so we need to close the door. So as I said, we started teaching about private parts and um, then we you know we have private and public places and then we have you know those behaviors and so from that it's that as I said earlier private behaviors involve private body parts so need to be done in a private place so we like to say that the privates all need to line up um, and so that can be in teaching about that that can be reinforcing that you know if your child is starting to Know, touch their private body parts in the lounge room, which is a public space within the home, maybe redirecting them to their bedroom. Um, or if they're getting changed in the hallway, redirecting them to you know, the bedroom or the bathroom or whatever, you know, one of those spaces. Um, and that can be done you know, verbally or you know, we have on the Planet Puberty website you know, signs to um, you know, private time, for example, or it can be using actual photos with it of, of your child's bedroom to, to, to redirect them to that space. Um, and so that's, that can be, as I said, it's a constant learning sort of thing. And we know that, that can some, some children will, will have will do this really well. And like many things, some, some children maybe not as much and that needs to be reinforced. Um, and the also, other thing I'd add is that we do have a game on Planet Puberty as well. Um, which is called there's a private and public. So you have to sort through different photos of places. So what are some of the things that our families can do to sort of to help teach that um, in a way that's going to be positive, I guess? Yeah, and that's a really good point. I did think I wanted to raise that one earlier, actually. Um, so your point around we want to do this in a positive way. Um, so we would always say there's not a bad behaviour, just that behaviour is in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And so start teaching where that, correct places um so one way as i mentioned already that we do suggest parents try is that redirection um so whether that's verbal cues visual cues whatever works best for your child um and unfortunately part of that is lots of repetition um that can also be so part of that repetition as well then is about making sure that all the people within the household are following the same rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not one rule for so-and-so and one rule for everyone else. It's that you know, everyone, if we're saying we have to get change in our bedrooms, then everyone's getting change in their bedrooms with the door closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that's consistently applied. Um, it may be, for example, working with teachers at school um, to reinforce that both in the home setting and the school setting. Like children spend a lot of time in school um, and you don't want that to be sort of undone 
or have conflicting messages between school and home because that will be confusing uh, for that child. Um, and I think the general thing of what I was saying earlier about you know, seeing what, you know, knowing what works best with your child and sort of applying that to the situation. How can you reinforce that? It might be a lot of repetition. It might be that your child responds really well to incentives. So it might be if you go for a week without doing, you know, if you go a week with doing things in the correct way, uh, maybe you get whatever it is. Um, gold star, um, no, an hour on your phone, whatever, no, whatever might be incentivizing for for your child. Um, the other suggestion that this is more of a specific suggestion that we um, that we know some parents um, we work we, we've you know, we've spoken to um, have tried as well is particularly where there's um, challenges around um, some masturbation in in a public area like the lounge room for example is actually scheduling in some private time to that child's daily schedule yep. um so for example you know get home from you know, after school you might go to that after school activity and then when you get home you have five ten fifteen minutes whatever it is some length of time that works within um your family routine to have private time in their bedroom where they can close their door, they can put their private time sign on their door, um, and it's a, an agreed length of time where they will not be interrupted and so they can choose to do whatever it is that they like during that time, whether that be reading, watching something on their iPad, having a snooze, masturbating. It could be anything, mm -hmm. um, but also but you know, having that thing to look forward to as you know, their own space can also be one way to incentivize um, doing those correct behaviors. It can be one way to incentivize doing behaviors in the correct place. I was wondering if we could end our podcast with some questions that were sent in um, to DSQ by some of our community members. Um, so, crushes and new feelings about other people are a common experience for all young people. Do you have any tips on how families can talk through these changes with their loved ones? Um, that's a really great question. Uh, and I think the key there is that that question I was asking, how you can talk through those changes. I think talking about it is really the important part. Um, we know that sometimes the challenge is the talking about it uh, and not feeling too embarrassed or awkward. Um, so if you are talking, I think that's, you know, that's, you know, that's a great start and that's really where that learning can happen is if you're having, having open conversations. Um, so that might be in a, um, a quiet environment or a comfortable, safe environment, depending on what you know, where that might be for your child or with your family. Um, we know some parents, for example, have told us that they like, to, they like to have conversations in the car when it's just the two of them and they can talk. It's by nature no one else can hear them. Um, and they don't have to look at each other. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's a know, great Which tip. can be helpful. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I'd say absolutely first thing is to, to talk about it, be open to, to communicating and talking about relationships. Um, in terms of you no know, crushes and you know, having you know, having feelings for some, you know, maybe it's a, you know, some famous person or the person at the shop or whoever it is, um, it's acknowledging those feelings as you know, being feelings that your child is having. Um, the relationship itself may not be realistic, you know, particularly if it's like 
you know, that movie star or whoever it is. You know, it's not it's not a realistic relationship, um, but you know, the feelings are real, um, and you know, how you respond to that can encourage or discourage further communication. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'd add to that as well is that you know, if your child is sort of saying, "Oh," They've, really, they've got a crush on so-and-so, that can be a really good opportunity to um, start you know, teaching about things around consent um, and healthy relationships. Um, so that might be things like you know, making sure that it's not you know, that any touch, whether that's a hug, a kiss, having sex, you know, all touch you know, needs to be consensual. A relationship needs to be consensual. Um, you know, you, someone's not your boyfriend or girlfriend just because you want them to be, um, and that you know, there needs to be a, you know, a consensual relationship that both people are agreeing to. Um, and also using that as an opportunity to talk about, well, what is a healthy relationship? What are some signs of that? You know, do they make you feel good? Um, do you, you know? Do you enjoy being around them? Do they treat you well? Do you know? Are you able to? Do you trust them? That can be, you know, really start that conversation. And we know this is a a really challenging thing for all young people, really sort of figuring out, you know, learning about developing relationships. And so it can be that formal conversation or it can also be using things like examples of famous people and their relationships and sort of how things are playing out. And you go, well, does that, that sounds a bit, Interesting. What do you think about that? Or you know, in movies as as well. You know, we often see some of those consent discussions um, cut out of movies. That you know, they're just going for a kiss, or the next thing they know, they're in bed, for example. Mm-hmm. And that might be an opportunity to go, oh, what should have happened before they got into bed? You know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be one way to, to do that as well. Um, and then, I guess. The other thing with in, in, you know, with sort of children developing those those crushes, you know, and sort of if they're sort of showing interest in other people, that you know, even if it's you know, at this point maybe some distant famous person, there's there's obviously showing a bit of interest about having a relationship sometime in the future, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, preparing yourself and preparing them, I guess for that happen at some point um, is really important. And I think as well, another thing, uh, we know that people with intellectual disability can sometimes find concrete examples a bit easier to understand as well. So maybe talking about those bodily feelings that you get when you do have a crush on someone in terms of butterflies in your stomach and yeah, yeah, the way that your brain feels and just being a bit more concrete about the what is actually happening to them, that it is very normal. It's really great that they're having those feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And then following on from that question as well, what do we sort of look at when the crush is with someone that's really inappropriate. So a teacher, for example, someone they spend a lot of time with um, or, you know, a friend's mum or a support worker. um, Uh What are your sort of tips in regards to how we can handle that um, when a relationship really is is not a relationship that they're going to be able to pursue? Yeah, and we know this can be a really tricky one, Um, particularly where it is that, you know, that teacher or the support worker where they're seeing them really regularly. Um, and so I guess a couple of things there that we'd suggest thinking about is 
Um, firstly, teaching about the different types of relationships. So what is a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a, or a partner? You know, what, you know, what is that? What do they do together? Um, versus a teacher or a support person. What, is, you know, what type of relationship is that? What do they do? Um, how are they different to each other? Um, you know, there'll be different types of activities you do together. Some, and there will be overlap. So you can watch a movie with your support worker. You can also watch a movie with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But there'll be definitely things that you don't do that are different. Um, and so we have a game on Planet Puberty um, called Who's in My Orbit um, that looks that they said sort of to sort of sort people into the, the orbit of relationship and whether that's, you know, are they a family member? Is that a support person? Is that an acquaintance? Is it a stranger? And sort of it and obviously it is slightly arbitrary. No, no, we're creating some rules here when it, it, obviously there is a bit of sort of flow in between. But you know, trying to you know, starting with some you know, some some sort of I guess some rules about you know different types of relationships and the types of touch that happens and the types of things that happen in those relationships, uh, and using that as a basis for further conversation. Um, and so the other thing, sort of flowing from that, is about setting realistic setting realistic expectations about what relationships are. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, that just because there's a girl and you like her and she says hello to you doesn't make her your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. um, and that can come from then talking about what a girlfriend is and how those relationships develop. Um, or, no. That you know, somebody, you know, this sort of general one, um, somebody who is paid to support you is not your friend, is not your girlfriend, is not your boyfriend. Hopefully, they're friendly to you, and that's that's a quality that you no, know, if they're good at their job, they'll be friendly and supportive. Um, and we know this can be a tricky one um, where you know, we've talked to families and they have sort of support workers who've been with their family for years, and they're almost like one of the family mm. and certainly if when they quit that job if they continue to come see you then they certainly I guess become a friend um but we'd say that you know a support worker who is you know, paid or a doctor or a teacher someone who's paid to help you they're there at that moment being paid to help you that's their job um and that they're not your friend at that point. Um, they might hopefully help you to make friends and certainly support workers uh, have really important roles to support people to develop the skills to have friendships. Um, and for a time being, they might fill some of those friendship um, activities, but it's, certainly, it's still different to having that friend. Um, and so very different to having you know, a friend that appear to be your friend. Um, so that's a sort of, that's one of the key things that would, you know, would, would sort of um, suggest trying to sort of prize apart is that someone who's paid to help you isn't your friend automatically. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, somebody who's, who's nice to you doesn't mean they like you, again, particularly if they're paid to, to be nice to you. Yeah. And the other one is that in terms of setting realistic expectations, that you can't guarantee someone will have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or get married in the future. Um, and that's just something for everybody. No one can guarantee that. Um, but obviously there are things that we can do to maximise the chances. Um, and so that's 
what we'd definitely suggest parents have think about in supporting their child to have the opportunities to build the social skills or the opportunities to meet other people, which can maximise the chance of that happening. Um, you know, actually having the skills to socialise with peers can lead to, you know, as in itself is a really great skill to have. It may in the future lead to some you know, development of different relationships and that's great if that happens. But if not, they'll have skills to make friends and, you know, and be and, you know, um, socialised with others. And that's really positive as well. Um, so I think it's not dismissing that, that, that sort of aim of wanting a boyfriend or girlfriend to get married, but it's about how can you support your child um, to have those opportunities and also using that as an opportunity to teach your child that well, we, we can't guarantee that in the future, but if you do these things, that'll help you improve your chances and maybe, maybe meet someone who you can really love um, and spend time with. So we do have some Planet Puberty webinars coming up later, later this year, um, so in the second half of the year. So if you're interested, hop onto the website. We'll be they'll be listed on the website once uh, once we've set those dates. So check it out. And we DSQ is also going to be hosting a um, webinar with Planet Puberty on the 7th of July at 7 p.m. And that's going to be specifically for parents and carers um, who want to be able to discuss these topics in more detail. So I'll pop a link in the show notes for our, um, our event if you want to register for that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Elin. That was amazing information. It's going to be really useful. I know we get loads of calls about puberty and, and how to navigate some of these tricky situations. So thank you so much for giving us your time today to have a chat with us. Um, if people want to hear more about um, your website or find your website, or find out some more about what you guys are up to, um, where can they find you? They can. So if people are interested in finding out more, hop onto the Planet Puberty website. So that's www.planetpuberty.org.au um, we'll pop the link in the show notes I guess yep. um, and there's some contact details on there as well you can get, you get in touch with us fantastic thank you so much thank you thanks for having me at the Now in the Future podcast we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information for the community if you have a question or would like any more information on any of our episodes or have any ideas for future episodes, simply send us an email to engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. And we'll do our best to provide you with the information you require in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now in the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for and empower people with Down syndrome both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at Down syndrome Down Syndrome Queensland, supporting people with Down Syndrome, now and into the future.